would you stand and worship with us?
because David isn't up here.
You may be seated. Well, good morning again. It is great to, to see most of your faces. It's a little dark in the back, but that's all right. Um, if, if you've never taken the time to look in those seat backs um, in front of you, unless, of course, you're in the front row, we don't have any seat backs in front of you, so I'm not really sure how to even do that exactly. I, we'll, have to, we'll have to figure that out somehow. It, it's it's going to work. I know it will. Um, eventually, uh, it'll, it'll happen. So uh, anyway, in the seat backs uh, right there in, in front of you, um, there are multiple different cards that exist within there, and we want you to utilize those. It is so important that you do. There's one, my favorite one in there is actually the prayer card. Uh, we don't have very many people fill those out during each week, but if there's something going on in your life, that's how we get so many of our prayer requests that we have that we send out uh, to people um, from uh, here on Sunday mornings. We don't get a chance to have a conversation with every single person on Sundays, and so it's just a great way uh, for you to communicate. So please use those things um, as, as you have those opportunities. We want to know what's going on. We want to be praying for you um, throughout the week. So please, please take a second uh, and, and use that as, you're, as, as needed, I guess maybe is the way to, to term that. I am excited about this morning. Uh, we're going to end the service with a, with a baby dedication. That's kind of fun. I, I went to find my son just a minute ago because he was missing. You know how kids will get junior high age. And they're just missing from church. I'm like, I don't know where he is. So I just went to look because, you know, that's what dads do, right? Um, and I uh, found him downstairs in the nursery because there was four babies in the nursery. Yeah, that's exciting. So it's good. He, my mom needed some help in the nursery. So, so uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. We're going to be needing some more help from some of you in teaching some classes and things downstairs because we want to add a class here pretty soon. Um, we want to divide um, some of the age groups up a little bit. So we need some more volunteers to do things like that. So it's, it's, it is. It's super exciting. It's an exciting time in, in the life of Berea. And so thank you for being here with us this morning. Now, as we begin today, I, I've told you before, but I, I, I love these questions. It's so much fun. As I was writing this message, actually a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm not that guy. If you didn't know this, I do not write this message this week. Uh, this was done three or four weeks ago. Um, I'm, I'm always, I, God allows me to try to work ahead. There's never any pressure then. You can really think and, and ponder as you write and develop things when you do it that way rather than when you're under the gun trying to get it done on Saturday night before Sunday morning. And so I don't still do things that way unless something happens, and that does happen sometimes. Life happens right? But as I was talking with somebody a few weeks ago, I realized that most of our time on Sunday mornings, especially together, we spend talking about uh, the miracles of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the early writings of the church, even the Old, Old Testament passages. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely what we should be studying. Those are incredible, incredible things that God has given us from him to share more about who he is and what he wants us to know about him and then share that with others. But how often have we ever just focused specifically on the question that Jesus asked? He asked more than 300 of them throughout the New Testament, yet we rarely ever pull them apart into just looking at what was he asking here? Why was he asking that? Because it's always wrapped in a miracle or it's wrapped in a teaching or there's something else maybe bigger in the picture than the actual questions that Jesus asked. But when you pull that question out, and you look at the person maybe that Jesus was talking to or in light of the situation that the question was asked, then something else is often revealed to us. And a lot of times it is very impactful in our lives in this moment. You see, Jesus didn't randomly ask these questions. He didn't randomly do anything. He knew the hearts of those that were inquiring of him. He had a purpose in either trying to reveal the answers to them or trying to lead them to some other truth. 
And our prayer as we go through this series is that we'll be able to take these questions, every one of them, and imagine that Jesus is literally looking us in the eye and asking us these very questions, the ones that we've gone through so far. Do you believe? Ask yourself, well, yeah, I don't know what phase of life you're in. He does. Do you genuinely, truly believe? Or maybe, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? What's, your, what's, your, what's the reason? What's created this doubt within you? Do you want to get well? So many even believers are struggling in life today, and Jesus is coming to them saying, do you want to get well? Because I can help you here. And we push him away. I got this. I, I'll figure it out. I'll get through it. Do you still not see? Do you still not see and understand? And then finally, what does the scripture say? What does my word say? That's where we've been so far. How do you answer each one of those questions? Have you considered Jesus asking you this question? And how would you answer if he did? If you haven't, if you've missed some of those along the way, I would encourage you. We would all encourage you to go back, watch, or listen, however you would like to do that. There's so many ways that you can still connect with those things that have happened in the past and be challenged by the words of, of Jesus as he poses those questions specifically to you. And I say all that just to set up today. Today's questions are very, very personal. They just are. So turn to Matthew chapter 8 to find the first one. Matthew chapter 8 is where it's at. We'll begin in verse 14. We'll kind of set the scene and summarize the passage, and then we'll get to the heart of the question. The scene begins with Jesus traveling to Peter's hometown, back to Peter's hometown. Peter was likely the oldest of the disciples, if you didn't know that. As far as we know for sure, he was the only disciple that was already married. The reason we know he was married is because of this specific passage. Jesus has been called to Peter's house because his mother-in-law is ill. It's the reason we know Peter is married. She was very ill with some kind of disease that had given her a high fever. Hey, maybe it was... No, I'm surely not, right? <laughs> anyway, I don't want to say the word. You know, we'd get banned or something. But my favorite part of the story comes right after she's made well. Now, my favorite part of the story probably should be the miracle, right? But it's not. My favorite part of the story comes in verse 15, and it says this, And she got up, and she began to wait on him. I need you to think about this for just a moment. This woman is lying in bed, possibly on her deathbed. Jesus comes by, instantly heals her, and what's her response? She gets up and she starts cooking dinner. Jesus, what you want to eat? That's her response. That's amazing. Can you imagine if we responded to Jesus in the same way? When he heals us, when he forgives us, when he shows us grace and mercy, instead of just saying, thank you, nothing wrong with the song we just sang. Thank you, Jesus. What can I do? I'm ready. I'm prepared. Let's go. What do you want for dinner, Jesus? I mean, it's incredible, her response. Well, that event on that evening is followed by a whole bunch of other people who got word very quickly that Jesus is in the business of healing. And so they all come to him, and he begins healing this a variety of people, a variety of different diseases on that evening. And as you can imagine, the crowds begin to gather in just like a few weeks ago. The tension begins building. It's not that Jesus couldn't handle the crowd. It's not that he didn't want to be in this large group of people or enjoy that opportunity even. To reach out to so many. But if you're around us around Easter time, then you know that by this point in Jesus' ministry, he was a man on a very specific mission. And nothing would stop him from his ultimate destination, the cross. 
So he had to protect that purpose. He had to protect himself. And in the streets at night with a large crowd and a large group of people that have begun to dislike what the, the things that Jesus is saying and doing, he needed to leave. It was time to go. And so as Jesus began to round up all the disciples, huddle everybody up, head for the boat to get to the other side of the lake, it says a teacher cried out to him, teacher, I will go, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that is an amazing proclamation for someone to stand and say. But Jesus, unfortunately, well, fortunately, knew the heart of the man that was speaking. So Jesus says, okay, I just want to tell you something real quick, just so you know, um, following the Son of Man isn't going to be quite as easy maybe as what you're thinking it will be. As a matter of fact, you'll actually be giving up everything and probably not even have a place to lay your head at night. It, we don't even hear a response from that gentleman. <laughs> he just fades into the crowd, I presume. But another speaks up very shortly thereafter. Jesus, I want to follow you, but, but, <laughs> any of us ever did that? Jesus, I, I want to do what you are telling me to do, but. Jesus, I know you want me to serve, but. Jesus, I know I should love that person, but. Uh, Jesus, I know I should be more committed, but. But. Now, this man apparently had a pretty good excuse, at least as we read it in our text in the English language. It says he'd like to go and bury his father. Now, I guess maybe that's not such a nice thing. Now, let me just go kill my dad and bury him. That's, that, maybe that, that's not such a good thing. There's something lost in the translation probably. There you see the reality outside of the English language is the man's father wasn't deceased yet. So he wanted to go and be with his father. We don't know the state his father was in or anything like that, but he wanted to go be with his father until he had passed away. Jesus, I would like to follow you, but, but just not yet. Not right. Now's not a good time. I, I've got this thing to take care of. He was interested. He was willing, but he seemed to have more important things that he needed to accomplish. God, I want to devote my life to you, but man, we are busy. I have kids. We've got this family. I got this thing called a job. We got sports. We got bands. You know what? I will commit I'll, I'll, later. Later. I will fully commit later. I just want to ask the grandparents real quick, when's later? When does life settle down? When does life slow down again? Uh-huh. Right. So all of us in the middle of raising our families right now, I'll get to serve in later. I'll get the opportunity later. I got, I'll be all in later. No, you won't. You only have time for what you make time for now, later. That's just how life works. If it's important now, it'll be important later. Jesus' response to the man was as honest as it can be. It sounds kind of harsh. To us, leave behind what you think is the most important thing and follow me. He said, let the dead bury their own dead. <laughs> Jesus wants us to be fully devoted to him. Now, was Jesus telling the man that he could never return to his father? <laughs> of course not. As a matter of fact, if we just look at this very context, where was Jesus just moments ago? With Peter's mother-in-law, <laughs> bringing her back to life almost. So he can't say he doesn't care. He loves you. He loves your family. He will care for you. He will care for your family. We are just called to make the full commitment to Jesus. Have you individually done that? You might have claimed him as your savior, but have you made him Lord of your life? 
onto the question, verse 23. They got into the boat, the disciples followed him. It's a famous scene in Scripture. Many of you know this scene. Suddenly, a, a furious storm came upon the lake, and sway, waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went in and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. <laughs> Jesus was tired. All right? One of the things we got to remember, Jesus was fully human. This took a lot out of him, all of this healing of all of these people. We have no idea how many people touched him on that day and were healed. So he was exhausted. He fell asleep. Now, it appears to me when I read this text that the man, Jesus, knew very well how to take a nap. Dads, can you hear me? Nothing will wake you up when you're taking that nap. Now, he's not on a cruise ship taking a nap. He's in a fishing vessel, a small fishing vessel, lying in the back of the boat, sleeping while the storm rages around him. We might think that's impossible, but if you think a little deeper past the surface, it actually makes complete sense that Jesus would not fear a storm. He created the water. He created the waves. He created the winds. He even put into place the atmospheric conditions that caused such a storm to arise. There was nothing to fear. There was no physical danger to anyone. But the men, the men who had spent much of their life on this very sea, seemed to have a slightly different take on the situation. They freaked out. They thought they were about to die. Think of the irony of the situation here. They're in this boat with the creator of the universe, someone who they have now seen perform incredible signs and wonders that we can't even imagine. But when it came to their life, when their well-being was at stake, now they are afraid. In that moment, they had a hard time believing that all that Jesus had done could be translated into their situation. Have any of us ever felt the same way? Oh, sure. Yeah, Jesus could do that for that person. Oh, sure, he could forgive them, but no, there's no way he could forgive me. I guess Jesus might have healed that person. I believe he could, but, but he, he, he won't heal me. I, I believe Jesus would protect, could protect me, but, but he probably won't. So Jesus replies to them after they nicely wake him up, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? First question today. He got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Now close your eyes and imagine the scene. It's chaos. You think you're going to die. You wake up your master. He gets up. He calls you to the rug, and he simply speaks, and everything instantly stops. My prediction is I would say absolutely nothing. I would just stand there with my mouth wide open going, Do you see what, huh? Did that just happen? They'd seen him turn water into wine. That was a cool, neat little party trick. They, they watched him with this miraculous catch of fish when there weren't any fish. They'd seen countless healings. They even saw a, a, a widow's son come back from the dead, and that was pretty cool. But when a man, or at least someone they perceived to be a man, speaks to the natural elements as if talking to you right now, and those things obey him perfectly on cue, Things changed. Their fear was now transformed into this awe and wonder at the power of the words that Jesus spoke. Just a quick reminder, those words are found right here, and that same power still exists. Don't ever forget that. Now, I don't think that any of us would argue that we, as a culture, as, a, as humanity, are not in the midst 
of a great storm on this earth. As society attempts to remove God at every possible turn. As we see lives ruined, relationships, broken homes, destroyed, crime rising, immorality, I'm going to steal a term from our current culture, immorality reimagined. Reimagined as if it's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> the murder of unborn children deemed a right. And chaos, like I've never seen it before, possible at the drop of a hat in any town, in any part of this country. We've never seen that before. The storm is raging, and many of us, believers even, are afraid. I believe Jesus, if he were in the room, would look at us today and ask us the same question. You of little faith, why? Why are you so afraid? You see, just like the disciples, this is important, just like the disciples, Jesus' presence in that boat ensured a safe arrival to their destination no matter what happened along the way. Church, if you and I are in Christ, if we are a believer who is following Jesus, then his presence in your life guarantees Tease a safe arrival in heaven with him for all eternity, no matter what happens along the way. <laughs> this, I know this won't be popular to say, and I'm not taking it lightly, but COVID will not keep you out of heaven. So why do we fear? Those in politics, the courts, the radical organizations, the big tech companies, they're going to silence us. They're going to try to punish us. They're going to create storms all around us. But if we are with Jesus, they cannot remove his spirit from us. They cannot keep us from our eternal destination. So why do we fear? Why is our faith so small when our God is so great? Now, I told you these two questions today were personal. Here's the best part. Your pastor is not questioning your faith. That's not my job. Jesus is asking all of us. And these questions hit me as hard as they should hit you. I promise. In the midst of all the fear that exists in the world today, including now the fear of what we all call cancel culture, it has a term. If you and I are willing to stand up for what we genuinely believe, if we are willing to teach and proclaim the truth of the gospel and the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then we've all begun to learn that we are running a risk here. We're running the risk of losing our social media account. Oh, shucks. Yeah, how much time would you have in your life? Anyway, you're at risk of losing your job. You could be. You could lose friends. You could even lose your ability to find a job, even in the market today. Are we willing to experience that reality, or are we also going to leave? Because that's the second question for today. This very question was asked of Jesus' closest inner circle of disciples, and I believe it is 100% accurate and appropriate to ask many Christians or believers today. So why did he ask this? The context is so important. This question comes after a very difficult teaching of Jesus. It's found in John chapter 6. So turn to John chapter 6. We're going to read a lot of that passage because it's so important to set it up. 
We're going to begin in verse 41, so well on down in, in, the, in, the, the chapter, in John chapter 6. It says this, that the Jews began to grumble about him, Jesus. Why? Why? Well, because he said that I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they're looking at each other and going, no, he's not. He's a man. Moses had the bread that came down from heaven. It was called man. It fed the Israelites. They all know that story. He's just a man. He's the carpenter's son, Joseph's son, Mary's son. He's not from heaven. And it says Jesus knows their thoughts. So he begins to explain further, which he'll do multiple times here. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, hey, yes, they ate manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I, I, Jesus, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. My bread is my flesh, which I will give, which I will give, will give. It's coming for the life of the world. Uh-oh, this just set them off further. Now they begin to argue loudly with one another. He can hear them. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, I understand the question. That's kind of a crazy thing to say if you don't exactly aren't tracking with Jesus and what he might be saying. What on earth does he mean? So he tells them again, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, uh uh-oh, this is getting weird, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. If you pause there and you're in the crowd and you're listening that day, you have no idea what he's talking about now. So many of us, if we are a believer, then we know what these little cups mean, right? But if you're not a believer today and you don't know about Jesus, you don't know what communion is, you don't know about his sacrifice, you're hearing this for the first time and going, this guy was weird. What is he talking about? What, they ate Jesus? Like, what's happening here? So he goes on and he explains further, wait a minute, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, because the Father is in him. So the one who feeds on me will, will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Yes, your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And it says he taught all this while in a synagogue in the town of Capernaum. Now, there are even people today that believe, they read this strictly as is, and they believe Jesus, Jesus is talking about cannibalism, and he was a leader of some crazy weird cult, and they would refuse to ever believe in Jesus. No, Jesus is not endorsing cannibalism, okay? Those that are listening are taking his words literally. Now, you and I, we live in a very different culture. We might say, well, how on earth could they possibly do that? It wasn't uncommon. Jesus spoke this way all the time. I'll give you two more examples. There was a man named Nicodemus earlier in John chapter 3 who had this secret meeting with Jesus, and Jesus said something that many of us would understand. Well, you must be born again. Nicodemus, one of the most educated, smartest leaders in all of Israel, said, what? How could I possibly climb back into my mother's womb and be born again? That's not possible, Jesus. He took his words literally. Then there was this woman at the well who Jesus told he could provide living water for her, and she just looked at him and scratched it. You don't even have a bucket to get water out of the well. How can you get anything from me? Just taking his words literally. There's nothing wrong with that. You have to dig deeper. He was speaking metaphorically. Those terms, eat, drink, and feed, those are all metaphors for believing in Jesus, and more particular, the kind of belief we must have in Jesus. Jesus, he challenges the people here. 
And I ask you, does his use of this metaphor, the eating, the drinking of his flesh and blood, does it actually deepen the type of belief that is necessary if you're to follow him? It's not a casual, passing, personal belief that's just over here when I need it. No, no, no. Our belief in Jesus Christ must consume us. It must indwell us as food does our stomachs. It must flow through us like the nutrients that we digest. Through our belief in Christ, he gives us that life eternal, just like the nutrients of our food that we digest brings life to this very body that we have. He does go on to compare himself with that manna. He references their Moses references, but then he moves on, whereas those who eat the bread of life will never die. As you hear that teaching today and you begin to understand it, or maybe you already knew, that's fine, but how do you respond to that teaching today in light of the world in which we live? When you hear those words, are they hard words? Because the people listening to Jesus that day, they, they really thought they were very, very hard. As a matter of fact, exact quote on hearing it, many of his disciples in verse 60 said, this is a hard teaching. Who can possibly accept it? And it says Jesus heard what these followers were saying, so he asked them point blank, does this offend you? Now, their response is actually found in their actions just a few verses later. Might be the saddest verse in all of Scripture. I'll often reference it that way. Ironically, it's given the call sign, John 6, 6, 6. That was done much later after the fact by those folks many thousands of years ago at this point. But it's odd that that verse happens to say from this time on, many disciples turned back and no longer Amen. followed him. That's sad. That's sad. Now imagine being one of the 12. You're in that inner circle. You have seen what you've seen. You've heard what you've heard. This incredible group of people following Jesus. Some of Jesus' words are incredibly inspiring. Some are hard to accept. You've heard the grumblings of the people. And now, now you start to see the masses begin to turn their back and walk away. What would you, as part of the inner circle, be thinking? In this series so far, we looked at the question, do you believe? Would belief be hard in that moment? As you see those that seemed, on the surface, so devoted to Jesus, were not willing to accept his teachings. If they're not willing to accept his teachings, how could he possibly ever be their Messiah, their King, their Savior? And it's at this moment... As his disciples, they got to be questioning, what's going on here? I don't understand. And Jesus knows that. And he turns to them, and he looks at them, and he just asks, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Hopefully you can hear his voice in that. I imagine it being very soft, very tender, looking every one of the 12 in the eye as he says it. Right now, as you see these attacks against the church, against the followers of Jesus, as you see the people that call themselves of Jesus walk away from the faith and what Jesus stood for. As what you once was unthinkable in our lives is now unquestionable, the truth, as truth has been redefined to be anything we want it to be. As humanity, the very image bearers of God, remember, every human is made in the image of God. As we, humanity, have now decided that we would like to alter that image, 
to make it whatever we feel like we want it to be rather than what God created us to be. As the spiritual battle rages all around us, will we stand up for truth? Will we stand up for Jesus as churches, literal churches, people that you know as entire denominations turn their back on the truth of God's word? Will we stand strong? Or will those teachings just become too hard for us? Will we cave to the pressure of public opinion? I believe Jesus looks at us. We're at a defining moment in culture and history, church. He looks at us right now, yes, at Berea, at this little corner outside Brazil, and asks, you, you don't want to leave me too, do you? <laughs> so I ask you today, will you respond with the words of Peter? In verse 68, just after that passage, Simon Peter is the one that stands and answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One. Will you? Amen. I'm going to ask if you would just leave that passage up there. It's all on there for us. Would, would you say that with me? Would you be willing to make this confession of faith, continuing faith, before your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's asking right now, you, you're not going to leave too, are you? Say it with me. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One. Yes. You see, we don't have a God that we can conform into our image. That's not how it works. We have a God who has invited us to conform into his. We have a God who has called us to be set apart. And here's the best part. He didn't just ask us to do it. No, no, no. He came and he showed us exactly what it looks like through his son, Jesus. Look around the world right now. Where's the world turning during these times? Is the world turning to Jesus? Oh, sure, some are. Yes, absolutely. Praise God. Amen. But most aren't. So we must take him to them. We must carry his love and his truths to them. We've got to carry his love and his truths to them. Repeat, loves and truths together to them. To present truth without the love of God is what some would call brutality. There's no reason for a person to follow such a God. However, to present the truth or the love without the truth is the worst possible hypocrisy we could ever commit. We're lying to people if we don't share both the truth and love together, if we don't share repentance and forgiveness together, if we don't share the reality of God's grace, his mercy and salvation right alongside the reason that we must accept him in our lives. Because an eternity apart from God will be hell. That's the truth, but he loved us so much to keep us out of that very place. Are you afraid of the times in which we live? Now, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus yet, if you have not stepped forward and confessed your love for Jesus and your desire for him to save you, then I'm going to be very brutally honest. Your fear is justified. There is a whole lot to be afraid of in this world. We encourage you today to come forward and submit that fear to him right alongside your life.
Get rid of your guilt, your shame. Experience the love, the freedom, the forgiveness, and the salvation only possible through Jesus. But it's also that you're a believer, and the fear of this world has a grip on you for some reason. And Jesus is asking, why? Why are you so afraid? Confess that to him today. Lay that fear at the altar. Cast that fear upon him. He can handle it. He can handle it. Don't let the fear of this world or the rejection of the truths of Christ push you to turn and ultimately walk away because the world's just going to continue to become more hostile to the ways of Jesus. And he's going to continue to look at us and say, now you don't want to leave too, do you? Or maybe, just maybe, you're just looking for some people to join with in this fight. And you need somebody to cry out together with, Lord, to whom shall we go? This is where I belong. You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One. That's who we are here at Berea. And if you would like to join us in that endeavor, in this world, then, man, we would love to have you come and join our family. We want to adopt you on this very, very day. It's a very simple, simple process to commit to being a part of the family of God. We have this time of invitation uh, every week as a part of our services. And I know growing up as a kid, and I'll, I'll say these things all the time, growing up as a kid and even as a pastor at our old church and things, I remember this invitation time every Sunday. It happened every Sunday. And you almost never saw anybody ever respond to invitation time because we're Americans and we got to schedule things. You know, I wasn't planning on doing that today, so maybe I'll do that next week. Yeah, I'll check that out. I'll, I'll put that on my agenda for next week. I, that's great, and the Spirit might do that, but I'm just saying probably not. When the Spirit moves, we believers need to learn how to respond. Amen. We need to learn how to react to that Amen. as He moves us. And so as those things are said, obviously, we always want to make this time available. The entire service, every moment, every day, this building is open, and when you're at home, to come to Christ. If you're joining us online today, that can happen at any moment, at any time. Come to Jesus today. Don't wait a minute. Don't be the man. I, I wait. I, Jesus, I love you, but I, I got this to do first. No, you don't. You need to come to him first. If you're in this world today and you're a believer and you're afraid, it's okay. We understand. There's a lot to be afraid. There's a lot of concerning things happening. Will you commit to praying with us? Will you come? Let us pray for you. That God frees you from that fear. He will. He will. He will provide the way out of that fear. Maybe you're just looking for a home a place to officially join the family. Man, we would love to adopt you, and this time would always be appropriate to come forward. Say, I would love to join you guys at Berea and be a part of that crazy guy and that crazy worship leader and whatever else God might be preparing in this moment. It's an incredible season, Father. We love you. As we come before you to close this part of the sermon, as we, we're not closing your word, Father. We're just diving in deeper, and we're celebrating your word as we worship. Father, we always want to make sure that those things are as clear that the Spirit has every possibility to move in anyone's life, whether in person or online or watching this 10 years from now on YouTube. Who knows how you might reach someone or what might reach someone in their time of, of desperation as they cry out to you. Father, be with us today. Be with those that are living in fear of this world and of people just abandoning their faith in the truths of Scripture and wondering, well, well, maybe it wasn't right. Maybe that's not what it really said. Maybe that's not what you meant. Father, your truth doesn't you will never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the sooner we come to grips with that and realize that, then there's a peace and there's a comfort in that because we know we're on the right side. Amen. If someone needs that fear cast out today, we pray that they're willing to come forward. And we get that opportunity to pray with them. And if there's someone here 
would just like to, to fully commit to being a part of and serving around here and, and helping us in this cause of Christ. So we pray that the Spirit moves them to do that on a morning like this. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to you from Ephesians this morning, but because of his great love for us, I'm sorry, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. 
Um, I think that in America, we are all familiar with the idea of debt. And you know that whenever you have debt and you're trying to pay that debt, there is a grace period. There is a period of, here's your due date, but you've got a grace period, five, seven, ten days, depending on your lender, before you're penalized for not making your payment on time. And I was listening, this was probably a year or two ago, I was listening to the radio and, and somebody said, God's grace doesn't have a penalty. So, you know, as we go through life and we think there's a deadline and when I have to pay God back, but there isn't. Because our debt for our sin was paid through Jesus and that is the gift of grace. This morning, as you're taking your communion, think about the grace that God has bestowed upon you in your life and how thankful you are for that.
good. So yeah, we get to bring the house lights up a little bit, would you, David? That'd be perfect. Yeah, that'll help out with the, the glows down here in the front. So, so we, get the, we get the exciting privilege to, to join a, a young family here with us. So Jeff and Megan and Violet, come on up. If you don't know, uh, this is Jeff and Megan's son. They've been here since about 2018, somewhere thereabouts. And if you haven't got to know them yet, you really, really, really should. They're wonderful, wonderful people. Um, and now they've become even more wonderful because of Violet. Yes, ma'am. How are you? I know. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's so much fun to get to be up front. Yeah. Maybe one day. Yeah. It'll be awesome. Anyway, this is, this is kind of cool for me because as, as a child growing up, the church I went to, um, they didn't do baby dedications and things like that. I, I don't know why. It just wasn't something that, that they did. Um, and uh, the church that we've worked at for 12 years, I can remember maybe a couple over the years, but very, very few. So I was kind of excited that that was kind of something that we did here um, as a family together because it's so important. So we get to close out the service with the blessing of introducing you to a young family and a wonderful new little one who's been listening to my voice for quite a while now. Um, and you know she's very quiet during service, right? It's good, right? And, and she doesn't always fall asleep either, does she, Megan? Yeah. No. So it's kind of weird um, that, that uh, she's listening. I don't know what she's hearing, but, but she's listening for sure, isn't she? This idea of bringing a child before the Lord is not a new one. This isn't something that we invented. It's not something the modern church has invented at all. It goes all the way back to ancient Jewish tradition, in particular, the laws of Moses. My favorite scene, and I'll mention that every time we do this, is found in Luke 2, 22, where Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. It's an incredible scene. If you just imagine that scene, if they really understood who Jesus was and what they were doing. The only people that really seemed to understand that moment were the old lady on the way they met at the temple and the, the priest that particular day where he now said, my life is complete. Lord, you can take me home because I've seen your Savior. I mean, just can't imagine that day. It'd been incredible. We're joined today with a few other family members. So Jeff has some family here from California, which is exciting. So your mom, Karen's here, right? Yes. Yes. And his grandma, Joanne, is here as well. So they get the distance award today. That's good. That's a good thing. And then Megan's mom and dad are here. Tony is her father, and then her mom, Nima, which I love that name because it sounds like Ima, which is Jewish for mother, of course. So anyway, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. This dedication is more than just a, hey, this is a mom and dad and baby. Okay, this is important for us. It's a responsibility of both the family and all of us as the body of Christ here at Berea. It is the perfect example of how we are to grow and to love and to serve one another within the body of Christ. This dedication is a call to action. Jeff and Megan, as parents, God has now blessed you with the life of one of his precious children. As parents and followers of Jesus, we are now responsible not only for the physical care of our children, but their spiritual care as well. Oh, she spit up just a little bit on her pretty dress. It's okay. She's like, yes, you guys got to do that. She's getting excited. It's excited. Yeah. As part of the Old Covenant teachings, Moses recorded these responsibilities for us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one. Love the Lord with all your, God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
Jeff and Megan and family, by coming forward today before God and before his people, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourselves and your children to the Lord? If so, will you respond by saying, we will? Having come forward before God today, I now ask you to enter into the following commitment in the presence of God and his people so that Violet may walk in abundant life that Christ offers. Do you, Jeff and Megan, vow with God's help and in partnership with us, his church, to provide Violet a Christian home of love and peace, to raise her in the truth of our Lord's instruction and discipline, and to encourage her one day to trust in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. If you do respond, we will. Family, that's you guys. Will you vow with God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Violet a Christian family of love and peace, to raise her in the truth of our Lord's instruction and discipline, and to encourage her to one day trust Jesus as her Lord and Savior? Church, then it's up to us. Modeling this kind of behavior and this kind of love cannot be done alone. It requires the help of others. And so for this reason, we want to call upon the help of the family of God right here at Berea. Will we strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit here in this place so that Violet may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers? Church, we must understand that we can do a lot to turn people away from God if we're not careful but we can do a whole lot more to keep them apart Amen. if we're intentional. Will we, with God's help, be faithful to our calling as members of the body of Christ to help Jeff and Megan to be faithful to God, to be faithful to each other, to help teach and train and love Violet in the ways of the Lord so that she might one day trust in Jesus as her Lord and Savior? If you will accept that responsibility with me, will you respond with me that we do? We do. It's an incredible thing. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all of the incredible young ones that you brought, the families that you brought into our presence here. And we pray that as a church, we can stand true to who you are and who we are to be as your people and love this family and anyone else that you bring us into the family of God. They can feel and experience that love in their lives. I pray that Violet grows knowing and loving this place, your house, your people. Uh, we pray for Jeff and Megan and their families. Raising a child in this world is absolutely incredibly difficult and challenging, but how do we have you on our side to bring us through? And we know, just like the disciples who are in that boat, we're in that boat right now, and the storm is raging around us, but you are here with us. You are in our lives, and you alone will bring us through these storms of life. Father, we pray your hand upon this young life, and we look forward to one day seeing her repeat that confession of faith as she comes to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.